this is like just about a full house in here. Socially distanced, of course. So glad that you are joining us, whether you are joining us in person or you are at home joining us while eating your potato chips. We are so glad that you are here with us in worship this morning. We are going to continue our sermon series called Knowing God. Last week, Pastor Pete talked about the Trinity. He did such a great job talking about a really challenging subject. And today we're going to talk about creation. And we're going to do this in a little bit of a different sort of fashion, maybe. We're not just going to focus on Genesis. We're going to talk about, Genesis, or talk about creation in perhaps a, a larger, from a larger perspective. And this isn't necessarily going to be a sermon where you're going to walk out of here with like a to-do, an application point. But the thing that I would love for you to do today while you're in here is perhaps take some notes, some things that you can take with you to reflect on during your own study time, uh, as you're driving in the car, because creation is this big, huge topic. And so I hope that as we're going through this today, there might be some things that stand out to you that you might be able to wrestle with and reflect on, meditate on uh, throughout the course of your week. Creation is truly a wonderful thing, and, and as Scripture tells us, we are men and women created in the image of God. And as such, one of the things that we do is we create things as well. I would imagine that all of us could think about something that we would like to create, something that if we had the time and the energy and the money, we would love to create X, Y, or Z. For me, the thing that if I had the time and energy to create is a book. I would love to write a book. And maybe someday that will happen. I don't know. But I, I love books. I love really everything about books. I love the feel, the tactile feel of a book. I'm not a big fan for ebooks. I listen to audiobooks because it's a way to listen to more books, but I love like the physical book. I love the smell. Old books, new books, it doesn't matter. They smell good. Books smell fantastic. I love the artwork. I'm just telling you, you can judge some books by their cover because some books have beautiful covers. And then obviously there is the content, the words, the stories, the information inside a book. Books are fantastic. Now, I know not everyone likes to read. Many of you do. Some of you We're going to do something, though, this morning that I think everybody can participate in. I'm going to tell you it went well first service, and there are far fewer people first service, so I think we're going to do well during second service. If you don't, we're in trouble. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a few first lines of some novels, and if you know what the novel is, I'm going to have you call the title out. Pretty simple. Some of these are classics. Some of these are newer. Some of these kids you're going to be able to get. So, pay close attention here. First, first line. Call me Ishmael. There we go. Whew. That was a little delay. I was getting a little nervous. Okay. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Tale of two seas. Good, good, good. This next one is maybe the hardest one out of all of them. So if somebody gets this, I'm going to be really impressed. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Anyone at home? Would you like to phone a friend? The Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby. All right, kids, start paying attention now. Some of these are for you. Grown-ups, give the kids a chance. Here we go. 
Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Yeah, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Good job. All right, here we go. In an old house in Paris that was covered with vines lived 12 little girls in two straight lines. Madeline, good. All right, I think several of you are going to get this one. First of all, let me get something straight. This is a journal, not a diary. Diary of a wimpy kid. Well done, well done. Now, we know a, another really famous first line. Once upon a time, there are so many fairy tales that begin with this line. But there's another first line that is incredibly famous, but even more consequential, even more important. And the line is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We would really have been in trouble if we didn't get that one, right? Good job. This is how the book of Genesis starts. This is how the whole of Scripture starts. And when it comes right down to it, this is how it all starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the reality is the first four words of that sentence are really the most important. In the beginning, God In the beginning, God. See, everything follows after this. Before God created anything, the only thing that there was, was God. Time as we know it, planets, space, animals, these things weren't there. There was nothing but God. And that's why these first four words are so foundational. There's a phrase that speaks to how God created everything, and it's ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. So we could say creatio, ex nihilo, means creation out of nothing. If you're like me in your garage, you probably have, or maybe this is your kitchen, you have containers. They might be old coffee cans, they might be little Rubbermaid tubs, they might be drawers, But you have places around your house where you have extra screws and nails and parts from your appliances that came, and you're supposed to use them in the install process, but you never use them. And, you know, like all of these extra things that you think someday you might use. And you keep them because you're sure that you're going to need to build something or put something back together, install something, fix something. And so you have these parts in your junk drawer When God created everything, God didn't have all these parts. When God created everything, not only did he not have these parts, but he didn't have the drawer to put the parts in. When God created everything, he he not only didn't have the parts in the drawer, he didn't have the cabinet for the drawer for the parts. When God created everything, there wasn't the kitchen or the garage for the cabinet for the drawer for the parts, because God created everything everything out of nothing. Think about that. What a fascinating thing to try and wrap your mind around. He created everything out of nothing. Last week, Pastor Pete, as I said, touched on the Trinity, and he did a great job. When we look at creation, when we look at God in the beginning, it is the Trinity that exists. That's it. God in his Trinitarian form 
And we see this when we look at Scripture, when we look at Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And if we look in John 1, 1 through 4, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when we talk about the Word here, we're talking about Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In the beginning was God. In his Trinitarian form, in the beginning was God. As a confessional church, we use creeds and confessions and catechisms as a way to clearly communicate, to synthesize, and and pull out the truths of Scripture. And if we look at the Nicene Creed, we see in each stanza the communication of the fact that the Trinity was there involved in the creation of everything. The first stanza of the Nicene Creed says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. If we look at the second stanza, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Pastor Pete touched on that last week, not made. Of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. And finally, the third stanza, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who is spoken through the prophets. Revelation twenty-two thirteen reminds us of this, that God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. And we know that all things were created by him. In the beginning, God. It was just God in the beginning. But sometimes we ask, I think we ask ourselves, well, why did God create me? Why did God create anything? What's the purpose? What's the point of creation? Because here's the, the thing. God didn't need to create anything. He existed in this loving Trinitarian community. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in communion with one another. He didn't need to create people or planets or animals or water. But he did. And he created them, all of these things. He created all of these things for his own glory. All things were made not only by God, but for God. And if we come back to our our confessional standards again, the Westminster Shorter Chasm reminds us that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were created to glorify God, to enjoy him in relationship. It's kind of weird to think of the fact that God doesn't need us because sometimes we think he does. We think he needs us to do X, Y, or Z, to do this thing or that thing, but he doesn't need us. But he created us. He loves us. I love how Michael Horton speaks to this. He says, God, he simply desires in his loving joy and counsel to create and have creation. He simply desires in his loving joy and counsel to create and have creation. God's acts of creation come from 
loving freedom, not out of necessity, not because he had to, not because someone coerced him to, but because he wanted to. We were created, at the end of the day, by love, in love, and for love. We're reminded in 1 John 4 that God is love. And if God is love, and God was all that there was in the beginning, there was love in the beginning. Because God is love. And he created us in love by his choice to engage in love. We were created by love, in love, and for love. It's his desire for his creation to worship and love him. It's his desire for his his creation to lovingly engage in covenantal, worshipful relationship with him. And we're not going to go too far into love or too far into covenant because those are two topics that we're going to cover during the remainder of this series. But that's what happened. And so in order to create us, God did something fascinating. He didn't get the, the, the supplies from the junk drawer. He spoke. He spoke. Speech was the medium through which God created everything. What a fascinating way to create anything, let alone everything. What's also interesting to note is that speech is kind of the primary medium or method for covenant creation. A covenant being that, that uh, commitment to one another, to something. We speak a covenant to one another. God spoke creation and we have this covenant with him. The reality is God speaks to create, and then he does two other things. He works. After God speaks, after he says, let there be light, after he issues this decree, then he works. God separates light from dark, the waters from the expanse. And then he uses, he instructs his creation on what to do, to produce vegetation, to care for the garden, to be a steward of of the plants and the animals. Creation is, in a, in a sense, informed of its purpose. And in fact, when God sees all of his creation and he's informed him of its purpose, he sees that what he's done is very good. When he sees man and woman, he says, this is very good. When he looks at the rest of creation, he says, this is good. And it is good because it is in accordance with his purpose. The problem is that sin infiltrated creation. It would be like if I wrote a book someday and somebody were to take that book and tear the pages out of the book. Or you were to go to an art museum and you were to look at the Mona Lisa and you were to go up and poke Mona Lisa's eyes. There's this beautiful creation that has been tainted, that has been impacted in an incredible, terrible sort of way. Sin has infiltrated creation. But the thing is, God, by his choice and his gratuitous beauty, created everything. I love this quote from Makoto Fujimura. He says, 
this about Christian understanding of beauty. He says a Christian understanding of beauty begins with the recognition that God does not need us or the creation. Beauty is the gratuitous gift of the creator. It finds its source and its purpose in God's character. God, out of his gratuitous love, created the world, a world he did not need because he is an artist. When you go to a restaurant and you give a tip, it's gratuity, it's extra, something that you don't necessarily have to do. It's out of an abundance. And here God is out of an abundance. He decides that I'm going to create something and I'm going to do this in this incredible sort of way. God, when he created things, could have made things all gray. Food didn't have to have wonderful tastes. It's possible. He could have created things however he wanted. But instead, he created this beautiful, intricate, colorful creation filled with so many textures and tastes and sounds and sensations. In my family growing up, there was a word that we had for really plain sorts of things. I don't know if this is a real word or not. And if it is a real word, I don't know how you'd spell it. But the word is fle. Fle. There are colors that are fle. There's food that tastes fle. And when you say the word, even if you don't know the word, you kind of know what it means. Like, you, just say, you say fle, like, that's fle. Yeah. And you get it. Like, you can picture it, probably, in your mind. That, that's, that's just kind of fle. God did not create a fle creation. Right? It's not. It is anything but fle. God created this beautiful, incredible creation filled with colors and sounds and textures and tastes. And even in this broken, fallen state, we still see God's gratuitous beauty. A couple weeks ago, I knew I was going to be preaching on this, and so I got on Facebook and I put a little post out there trying to crowdsource some, some feedback. I wanted to get some information on what people think are really incredible, awesome aspects of creation. And I got this huge list. I got all kinds of stuff here. So I wrote them down so I could share some of them with you today. Some of these are really awesome. Space and planets. The formation of a child in the womb. DNA. The Fibonacci sequence. Bees and honey. Narwhals. Yes. I mean, who doesn't love a good narwhal? The eye, sunsets, giraffes, figs, and fig wasps, spiders and spiderwebs, dinosaurs, jellyfish, symbiosis, language, slugs. <laughs> slugs. I think that when I get to heaven someday, I'm going to ask God about slugs, because I don't understand them. I'm also going to ask him about mosquitoes. They like me, me liking them not so much. And I'm also going to ask them about lice. Because if you're a parent and you get that notification saying there's a kid in your child's class that's had lice, you know you just start scratching everywhere. It, it just, why lice, God? I mean, I don't know. But this huge list of all these wonderful things. And one of the things caught my attention, and it was fractals. Here's why fractals caught my attention. When I was little, I was at my grandparents' house, and my grandpa pulled out this VHS recording of this show on fractals. 
Now, I don't know if he purchased this. I don't know if this is like a, a, a PBS Nova show that he recorded. But he put this on for me, thinking that me as like this little kid was going to love this show about fractals. I'll tell you about fractals in just a moment. Like, this is something that made sense for him to like. He was a very smart man, was a math professor at the University of Puget Sound for 40 years. Like, that's his deal. But like, as a little kid, fractals, not so much. Here's what fractals are, and I'm not going to go into too much detail here because if I do, I'm going to start telling you things that aren't true because fractals are complex and awesome. But here's what I found. I looked at the Fractal Foundation. They must know what's true about fractals. A fractal is a never-ending pattern. Fractals are infinitely complex patterns that are self-similar across different scales they are created by repeating a simple process over and over in an ongoing feedback loop. So if you go on Google and you look up fractals, this is one of the images that you might see. And this is the, the Mandelbrot fractal. This is one particular type of fractal. You can see kind of that pattern repeating around the edges. Another one is the Coke snowflake. You can kind of see the Coke snowflake here, how it kind of forms. This pattern starts to form. The thing about fractals is you can look at a fractal here and you're going to see this pattern. But if you zoom in on a smaller section, you're going to see that pattern repeating just in a smaller form. And if you zoom in even closer, you're going to see it even smaller here. And if you zoom in even closer, you're going to see here, fractals are amazing. They weren't when I was a little kid, but they are now. And I'm so glad that I can share about fractals in my sermon. Side note, my grandpa took me to watch Salmon Spawn also as a little kid. As a little kid, that was super boring too. But now salmon spawning is amazing. God's creation is incredible. And this is all by God's loving and gracious design. God is an artist. God is a creator. And through creation, we get this finite glimpse of God's splendor. We get this little taste, this little insight into how incredible God is. Creation points us to God. And it brings us to a place of worship. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Job 12.7-10 says, But ask the animals, and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Here's the thing, though. When we think about creation, when we look at the creation story, typically we rush right to Genesis 1, and we spend most of our time hanging around there. But the creation story is all throughout Scripture. It is not limited to the Old Testament. In fact, we see mention of God's creation throughout the New Testament. Christ mentions uh, creation, the first chapters of Genesis, we see nearly every New Testament writer reference at least some part of Genesis up through the first 11 chapters. And Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We see these things, and they testify to who God is. They point us to God, and it is so important because it shows us the beauty of God. But it gets better. 
Not only does the New Testament reference the Old Testament, not only does it reference the creation account, there's this incredible link between creation and incarnation. Earth, and he takes on this physical body. There's this merging of the eternal God and the finite nature of creation. God is fully God, or Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. But why do we see this intersection? Why would God send his son to earth to take on flesh? Why would that be worth it? Why would that be something that the creator of all would do? Why would there be this intersection of eternity and human time? Well, he did it for the purpose of redeeming his creation. The eternal, all-powerful God takes on the flesh of creation in order to bring about redemption and restoration in his creation his beautiful and good creation that was tainted by sin. If you look around today, you see this weird dynamic, this contrast of God's beautiful creation and the fallenness of sin. We look outside and we see sunsets and we see giraffes and we see the northern lights and we see jellyfish, we see fractals, And yet at the same time, we see war and famine and illness and heartbreak and pollution and destruction and fear and division. We see these two things all at the same time. And we see it all within the context of the created world. And so creation is the context for the story of redemption. Our creator becomes our redeemer. As Douglas Kelly says, the gospel can never be understood apart from this creational context. And this is because it is God, the creator, who comes to redeem his image-bearing creation. This is because God loves us. This is an ongoing process of recreation. I know all of us, either in this room or online, like to get out for recreation. We might like to go out and ride a bike or go on a run or play sports. We might like to read a book. And we do these things to refresh. These things kind of give us life. They restore us. They're important things for us to do. The word recreation comes from the Latin word recreare, which means to create again or to renew. And so when we need renewal, we recreate or we recreate. But in the end, it is the creator that ultimately will bring about recreation in order to fully restore creation for its ultimate original purpose. And so we can't limit our theology of creation to Genesis 1 
or even Genesis 1 and 2. Really, a theology of Scripture flows from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation chapter 22. The Bible is a a covenantal account of God's faithfulness in restoring, renewing, redeeming, and ultimately promising recreation. You see, the beautiful thing is that the Creator is coming again and He will make a new heaven and a new earth. The beauty and the perfection of creation before sin will be restored so that God's original purposes can be refilled. Revelation 21.4 speaks to this. It says that He, the Creator, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Recreation is an interesting sort of thing because it is an already not yet sort of proposition. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. It's already in that if you have given your life to Christ, there's this transformative, renewing, restorative work that has been done in your life. But it is also not yet in that when Christ comes again, he will restore everything. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. The pain and the suffering that we experience and feel in our world today will cease. Creation will be restored according to God's original purposes. This is the promise that he gives to us. It is the covenant that is spoken to believers. And so as people walking in a fallen world today, we can delight and find comfort in knowing this, that the creator of all, that the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, has everything under control, that he is coming to make all things new. When we look at the creation account, we go through all of this looking at the first six days, and I think sometimes we neglect the seventh. And so before we wrap up today, I want to take just a little bit of time to look at the seventh day, because God does something profound and significant, but something that I am not very good at, as much as I love the idea, and probably something that you are not necessarily all that good at, and that is Sabbath. God takes the seventh day, after beautifully creating all of these things for his purpose, this good creation, he stops and he sanctifies the seventh day, and he rests. He sets it aside as holy, I think one of the risks when we look at the creation account is that we get so caught up in doing and acting and creating that we forget that sometimes we need to just be. We were created to not only create, but to also stop and be, to find helpful and healthy ways to recreate on a regular basis. And even more importantly than that, to stop and be with our creator, to worship him, to to express our love for him, to express our praise to him, and to be reminded of his love for us. See, in the creation account, God models this orderly, intentional way for creating things, but he also models for us rest. And I wish there was more time to talk about this, because we could do an entire sermon series on Sabbath and healthy spiritual rhythms. They're so important. But as you go and reflect on creation this week, don't neglect the rest. In fact, use Sabbath rest as some time to reflect on 
God's creation. Because it is so essential for us as God's created beings. It is essential to the creation account. And it is a gift from the creator to his beautiful and loved creation. I hope that as you go today, you will take this view of creation from creation to incarnation to recreation and understand just how fantastic and amazing it is. God created you not because he needs you. He created you because he lovingly wanted to engage in relationship with you. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you made us. We thank you for the beauty that is all around us. Lord, we live in a world that is broken, that is fallen, that is tainted by sin. And yet, Lord, on a daily basis, we are reminded of your goodness, your creativity, your beauty, your glory. Lord, I pray that as we move into this week, we would take time for Sabbath rest. And that perhaps in our rest, we would reflect on your creation. On you as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. On you as love. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together with other brothers and sisters who were created in your image. Men and women and children that desire to learn more about you. To understand you better. And we thank you this morning, Lord, for your word. That you have given us this text, this living word to help us grow in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would reflect who you are, that we would reflect your love, that we would be good stewards of all that you have given us to care for. Lord, I pray that we would be representatives that shine bright. Lord, I thank you for today and this opportunity. We love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.